7, 29, he's talking about John the Baptist. No, when, what went you out for to see? They're talking to the people about John. It says, all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. So, where did it come from? So I said, if from heaven, why did you, why did you not believe in that? Yeah. So that's two. Is that number, anybody remember the third one? Uh, the Sadducees and the resurrection. Resurrection. Uh, their hypothetical situation, you know, with seven brethren and one lady, etc., etc. And then there was one more. This one is a little different in a way. It's kind of worded as attempting, but then the person who did it kind of had a different reaction after it. What's the greatest commandment of all? They got asked. And then Jesus said, and saw the answer discreetly. All that. So that's the, the day of controversy. So how did um, that night end then? Tuesday. Technically it's Jewish Wednesday, but Tuesday night. What else kind of looked at last week that kind of would happen that day? Supper at Bethany. Supper at Bethany. And that's where what happened? Mm -hmm. Who did? Mary. Mary. Or the uh, uh, quantity or whatever it was, a spike there, as I said, which very great. A year's work, essentially, a year's salary, if you want to think of it that way. And so what what else happened with that situation? Judas was upset. And yeah. John's specifically name is Judas. The other gospels talk about it, obviously it's more than just him, but John specifically points out that Judas was one of the ones, maybe maybe the other ones thought it and didn't necessarily say it, but Judas specifically said it. And of course, Jesus rebukes him for that. And then what happens after that? You're thinking of today. But it seems like after that is when Judas obviously was very humiliated for what Jesus said, and that's probably when he went out and bargained with the chief priests and the Pharisees to betray Christ. So of course we just see Christ's one the supper there. We're gonna the lesson today is really should be really humbling to all of us. I'll give you a heads up on that. So we're gonna read uh, well back up for a second. So again on Tuesday night Jesus stayed in Bethany, the disciples there. It was to be his last night before he'd be arrested. Sometime, again, the next day, so Wednesday, he would send you know, two of his disciples, which are named Peter and John and other, other Gospels, to Jerusalem to prepare you know, for the Passover supper. And other Gospels talked about, you know, you'll find a man with a, bear and a pitcher of water on his head. You know, follow him and you know, wherever he goes, you know, say, where's the room that I'm going to eat this up with my disciples? And you'll find a room prepared for him. So that happened on Wednesday. It really doesn't say what else, that anything else happened doesn't record on Wednesday, other things that would have happened that day. So now, the Passover was to be eaten after 6 p.m., again, on the evening of Nisan 14th. And you get the 14th day from other parts in the Bible. Noah talks about this is your first day of the month, the 14th day of the month is when this happened. And it's really interesting. We're going to look at some timing that kind of really kind of lends itself to the whole Thursday Crucifixion day. It's really interesting. 
we'll look at that. But John 13, so we're going to actually read the whole chapter here. John 13, and then verses 1 to 38. Um, I'll start in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and went to God. He riseth riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, As I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments, and was set down again, and said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, Happier to be if you do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth receiveth him that sent him. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you, you shall betray Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that, that, that thou doest do quickly. Now no man at that now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had set up to him, buy those things that we have need of, against each Lord, that he should give something to the poor. 
He then, having received the sock, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. God be glorified in him, and God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, in a little while I am with you, you shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot, cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Very verily I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. So again, what are they celebrating here? No. What feast? Again, we kind of already talked about this. Again, we're kind of in Wednesday time frame of that last um, week of Christ's life. See the occasion. Um, again, the Passover is the occasion of this lesson. It's interesting. If you look at the timing, it was to be held on the 15th day um, following the preparation of the Passover, which has been on the 14th day, Nisan 14. Um, again, it was, this was the biggest event of the year for the Jewish people. Again, history dated back centuries, you know, all the way back to Egypt, when the Lord passed over the homes of the children of Israel. Again, in obedience to God's commands, sprinkled their doorposts with the blood of a spotless lamb, with hyssop, nonetheless, um, there. So it's interesting. I, I do want to take some time to do this, so keep your finger here. Turn back to Exodus 12. Again, because there's what's the Egyptian Passover, and then there's also the permanent Passover, know that God established for them. So keep a finger in John, and then go back to Exodus 12, verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall take your, make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the first month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat it. And then it continues, um, skip a few verses for time's sake about how they were to eat it, etc., etc. Again, this is the Egyptian, the other pastor, they're supposed to eat it with their shoes on, ready to go, because they were going out that night with the Lord when Pharaoh said, get out of here. 
It's the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, I'll pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Then remember, remember how we talked about there's the Passover, and then there's it talks about in other parts of Scripture the feast of unleavened bread. You're getting ready to read that. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, you shall eat unleavened bread. Same day, 14th day. You shall eat unleavened bread until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. And he then continues with Moses actually giving the, uh, the actual instructions. But again, we talked about Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread is actually eight days total, if you consider the Passover the first day. Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days. Sometimes they consider that the whole thing is Passover. Sometimes it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the whole thing. But it's really interesting. If we look at, again, the permanent Passover. So the afternoon of Nisan 14, the 14th day, again, is what we read. The lamb that had been selected back on the 10th day that was set aside to be watched, right? 14th day, the lamb would be slain. And then it's actually, let me get back here. So the head of each family would select a lamb, take it to the priest, and the 14th, the lamb would be slain and its blood caught in a gold or silver bowl. And the blood would then be sprinkled on the altar. The lamb would be flayed, stripped of its skin, and the entrails of the animal would be burned on the altar. It's really interesting, the timing of all this. Because again, if you keep in mind, Thursday, crucifixion, the day when the lamb was slain, go back, continuing even until the 15th, well, think of the 15th day when the lamb ceremony actually would be happening. You go back um, to right? If you think of Sunday is day 10, Monday 11, Tuesday 12, Thursday, or Wednesday 13, Thursday 14 when the lamb was slain. What happened on day 10? Sunday. Was it the lamb presented? everybody to see it's a whole point of setting it aside for that time you know was to make sure there's no blemish in it he got tested in that week did he it's kind of interesting really think about the timing you know on different things and stuff really kind of makes that kind of really interesting to consider so the 15th day again is when uh, the land we slain on the 14th. This is apparently, I think, is this is, I guess, to scale of what the altar for the Jews would be like. Again, that is a person. So this is a massive structure, if you think, here. 
Yes, that's like 48 feet there again, so 16 feet high, 36 by 36. That is a big structure. Again, that's like a, probably a six foot person to scale on that. Big. Here. So the evening of the 15th then, is when the lamb would actually be roasted and the ceremony would begin. So it's, uh, hold on. There's actually, it's not, I don't think it's in your notes here, but there's actually kind of nine points in a Passover ceremony that they would actually do. I think it might, it might be in your books there. I think it's on, yeah, it's actually on page 207 uh, if you wanted to see it. Um, you can kind of look in other scripture portions, <coughs> we won't for time's sake and like place these in the order. You can see it, but we won't, we won't do it for time's sake. But again, the nine points that the guests are going to be reclining on their beds, the dinner beds there, the triclinium that we talked about, um, where they'd be served, um, yeah, the Jews here would be served wine. And, and a note that you say here, and, you know, how many, so many times people talk about wine with the Lord's Supper? never see that word in connection with the Lord's Supper. It is always the fruit of the vine. You look at all the Gospels and in Corinthians, I believe, and you never see that. That's like people's like just mind puts that in there. So they'd be served for all purposes juice. And after offering a blessing, they would drink it. A towel would be passed around and they would wash their hands. Maybe this is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet at that point. Second one is where bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and cheroset, which is a special sauce, would be brought in. The third thing is the head of the family would dip some of the herbs in the cheroset, pray, and then give a small portion, about the size of an olive, to each person on the table. Four, unleavened bread would be handed out, and the lamb would be brought in. Number five, a second cup would be poured, and then the meaning of the feast would be explained is also what talks about Exodus. We didn't read it. It says, when your children ask, basically, why are we doing this? You explain it. Six, they would sing the first part of the Halil, or the hymn of praise, and they'd offer prayer. Seven, the unleavened bread and the herbs that had been dipped in the cherusheth would be eaten. And this is probably when Jesus gave the sop to Judas at this point. It's really interesting something about that to her. They would drink a third cup, and then they would drink a fourth cup, and then say the rest, and sing the rest of the Halil. They would sing. They drank a lot. <laughs> Everybody's here. Again, we can look up in Luke 22 and other Gospels and place each of these things as you see them kind of happening. We won't for time's sake. But moving on, the great irony of this story is that the real Passover lamb was eating the symbolic Passover supper the night before he's going to be sacrificed. The day before. The night before the day. It's just really interesting. Think about that. Did he know that? Of course he did. You see Christ's knowledge in this. This passage kind of reveals three things that Christ knew. Here. First, you see in verse 1 exactly how it starts out. He knew that his hour was come. Really sounds like somebody who's surprised 
by the cross, doesn't it? Of course not. The cross was no accident. He had it planned and timed of when it was going to happen, the day it was going to happen. The Jews weren't crucifying him. <coughs> he was laying aside his own life to allow them to do it. It's interesting because the same word that's used for that when it says that he laid aside his garment willingly you know, to wash their, wash their feet and everything there. He knows that an hour has come. Two, he knows who his betrayer is and what he's about to do. Although some people deny this, it's nonetheless true. Jesus was fully aware of all that Judas was and also of where he was going to betray him on this. Again, it flat out says that. Um, verse 11, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you're not all clean. So either John is a liar or is here. Jesus knew who he was doing. And when Jesus said and everything... He knew who he was. Remember how many times you see that before? For he knew the son of perdition. He talks about that before. He talks about, um, you see that in, I think, John 6, when he's a different passage and stuff like that. The betrayer is, talks about. He knew who Judas was. And then three, he knows his own identity, which is really interesting. I don't remember exactly what I was uh, looking for, but I saw some some headline, something in like a part of a piece of an article from like a feed or something, like from the Atlantic or something, which is a really super uh, um, conservative piece of media. But anyway, talking about, uh, I think it was talking about, no, Jesus asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? And it's possible Jesus didn't really even know who he was and this and that. <laughs> but um, it's amazing. You either... Throw everything out that doesn't agree with what you say. And it's, just, know, it's, just, it's just amazing the things that people say about Jesus in Scripture. But he knows his own identity. Check verse, uh, verse 3. Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. And Jesus not only knew who his betrayer was, what he would do, and when he would do it, but he also knew who he was, capital H, he was, the Son of God, and that the Father had delivered all things into his hands. To Oliver B. Green puts it, the marvelous words of verse 3 express the depth of our Lord's infinite condescension and unchangeable love for his disciples. He had full knowledge of who he was and why he had come into the world, you know, he knew the Heavenly Father had committed all power into his hands. He knew that as God the Father had life in himself, the Son had life in himself. For he was with the Father from the beginning and would return to the Father to be seated at the highest seat in heaven at the right hand of the majesty. Knowing all these things, he condescended to render the most humble service of a servant and wash the feet of his disciples. So... You see, again, Christ's knowledge here. But let's look at Christ's humility. Now, the common custom though, at this time would it be for a servant of a household to wash the feet of the guests. Again, it's not uncommon what, what it is. It's kind of similar to Mary washing Jesus' feet. That wasn't uncommon for her to do. One, what was uncommon with that was what she used and how she used it. 
So again, this is not uncommon what's happening here, but for someone of dignity and position to do it was unthinkable. Again, it's the job of a servant to do that. For the Messiah to do it, it was almost blasphemy, you know, in the minds of the disciples. So imagine their surprise and their embarrassment when he begins to wash their feet, as a humble servant would do. And it's very interesting. Turn over to Luke 22, verses 24 to 28. Someone uh, volunteer to read those, verses 24 to 28. Okay. Luke 22, 24 to 28. <clears throat> and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doeth, uh, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. So again, you think of the timing. This has apparently occurred during this supper. It doesn't exactly say when. It doesn't, of course, doesn't exactly say when Jesus washed their feet or whatever. But it's possible this happened right after that argument. over who'd be the greatest. It's not the only time they discussed that, was it? <laughs> you see that a time or two before. I think that's where Jesus, one time, he talked with them, where he brought a little child and you know, sat with them. Use that as an example, I think, a time or two. Of course, you remember James and John and their mom came to him one time, you know, can we sit on the right hand, on your left hand, <laughs> in your kingdom and stuff? This obviously was something that was very in the forefront of their minds, wasn't it? Is it not in ours too? So you think about, again, you put everything together. That event and then what Christ is doing here. Now, the king of kings is not so great that he can't love and serve us and even wash our feet. And how this demonstration of love and humility rebukes us, exactly as it did to them. Think about it in your own life. And so often we sometimes think that some jobs are beneath us. And so people are beneath us. We don't say it, but the way we act, we do that. You know, we think, let the less articulate go to the mission field. I have too much talent to waste it on a small church or on some unappreciative cannibals in the steamy jungles of South America. And I think we could all come up with our own statement for that. But Jesus didn't have that attitude. You know, what did he say? Do ye as I have done to you. He was willing to become a servant. This goes right along with Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 and 6. Um, can't exactly... Slip my mind exactly how it goes, but 
Oliver B. Green writes of Christ's action, the remarkable thing about the entire episode is not so much the washing to the feet of the disciples as the wonder of what Jesus did. He, God in the flesh, on such a solemn occasion, condescended to wash the feet of such weak, cowardly mortals. So it's also interesting, keep this in mind, and then this next point. You see his heart. Can you see, you kind of see it in um, verse 21. This is after he's washed um, the feet here, but he's just specifically thinking about Judas. In verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now, Jesus knew about Jesus's, Judas's deceit from the beginning, but he still loved him. Because I'm sure Judas got his feet washed too. It's interesting, verse 21, you know, think of how we would have been if we knew that. We would be very angry, you know, and incensed against Judas. Jesus was broken and compassionate toward them. And that, this is a really interesting statement. I added this on here. He saw Judas's need, not his deed. That's a really interesting, kind of a catchy something you can remember. He saw his need, not his deed. You know, we would that we would truly love our enemies. You know, it's really easy to say, and it's a lot different to do. You know, we get in our but we get our minds so much on our mistreatment of ourselves by our no by people that we fail to see their need. It says, remember, behind every wrongful act is a need in someone's life. There's a reason for why they do what they do and stuff. You know, if we could learn to feel compassion towards those who mistreat us, how differently we'd react to situations and stuff. But just remember that. That uh, is a really interesting way to put it. He saw Judas's need, not his deed. So remember that. Think of that. Put that in your life in context for this week and the people know. Something happens. See their need, not their deed. And then also, what's interesting here, you know, Jesus did not publicly rebuke Judas about what he was going to do, did he? He didn't reveal him to the other disciples, did he? Again, going back to we would have been very angry and incensed and probably like publicly humiliate, you know? Like, of course, their reaction's been, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? Why in the world would you do that? And then that sort of thing. But Jesus did not. He did not reveal him. And what's interesting, this next part, now he had mercy on him and he treated him kindly by hiding from the other disciples the fact that Judas was the betrayer and what he was going to do. And he even... This part here, I look at verse 26. Someone want to read that? Okay. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Jesus Iscariot, the son of Simon. It's interesting. Remember back to the Passover, the sop, you know, dipping it kind of in the cherished and everything here. 
According to Jewish custom, the head of the feast could offer the sop to the most honored guest first. So he honors Judas by giving him the sop. One, he's given him an opportunity to get right and repent with it. But he's honoring his enemy. Goes a little bit further, doesn't it? the disciples understood Jesus' action note as honoring him. They didn't know about that he was going to betray him, but they knew it, and which makes it very interesting. What does Jesus say in the next couple of verses right after this? Now, we read these verses, and they're, like, they're great, but think about what had just happened in the context of it. Verse 34. Someone read verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Think about what just happened. That's truly putting it there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The one who's going to betray you that you know publicly honors him, and he knows and you know, and he's going to betray you. And then love one another as I've loved you. Of course, they disciples figured that, found that out eventually, but the context of all of this really gives a little bit more meaning to that statement that Jesus gives here. He's challenging them to the same kind of love. So now we saw Christ, but um, look at the disciples there. I'm kind of thinking of everything here. Peter, think of Peter. Again, we like to pick on Peter, but let's look at some lessons here. His rash statements. He gives three kind of rash statements when Christ tried to wash his feet. Of course, you see verse 8. What's the first one? Never wash my feet. Never wash my feet. He was trying, of course, you see, trying to tell God what to do. Again, his resistance, no, it's interesting. Again, Jesus is washing his feet. It doesn't really seem to be humility. It really seems to be pride disguised as humility here. But again, Christ knew his heart and his impending failure that was going to happen hours later by depending on his own strength. So Peter goes from one extreme to the other. He wanted to do more now than Christ intended to do. He was, no, don't wash my feet. Give me a complete bath, basically. But you think about it. He didn't have the right intentions, you think, with it. Again, um, again, from all of the beat green here, it says, the change of mind was characteristic of Peter, excitable, zealous, impulsive ardent, easily stirred and quick to speak. But at this time in his Christian life, he had more feeling and emotion than spiritual depth and discernment. He had more zeal than knowledge. And like many today, he went from one extreme to the other. We tend to do that. And it says, so some people fail to do as God desires. Other people sin by doing more than God desires. And just because it's God's will to construct a church building doesn't mean that it's God's will to build a $50 million Solomon's temple. It's not bad the wall. <laughs> just because God wants you to witness doesn't mean that God wants you to hit people over the head with the bat and drag them to church. It says, don't be rash like Peter. Stability and consistency are marks of spiritual maturity. Before the night ended, 
he would deny the Lord three times. Again, one to the other. And then the third, verse 37. Peter saith unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And how often we say one thing and do another. The, uh, the next couple sentences, I'll go ahead and tell you, are kind of convicting, so heads up on that. We say that we love Christ, but we're not faithful in attending church. We say that we'll die for him, but we fail to live for him. We say that we belong to him completely, but we run our lives as we please. We say that we've surrendered all to him, but we persist in our pet sins. Do you walk the talk, or do you merely talk the walk? Walking the talk and talking the walk are two different things. And again, so we saw the Peter's rash statements, and now we see the disciples' insecurity here, which is interesting. Matthew 26, we won't look at it for time's sake, says that the disciples, they were sorrowful at Jesus' announcement that one of them was a traitor. And you actually see them asking, interesting what they said. They didn't say, is it you? Is it you? They said, Lord, is it I? That's one give some credit. What they said, is it I? Read John 13, 22. Again, this is, or read verse 21 and then 22, somebody. 21 and then 22. <clears throat> when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in the spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of the Lord's So what were they doubting? Jesus' words? Were they doubting what he said? No, they were doubting their own strength to stand for him. Each of them was afraid that he was the guilty party, you know, that he was the traitor. That's why each of them began to ask Jesus, Lord, is it I? And you see that in Matthew 26. Again, Lord, is it I? So how sure are you of your own love for the Lord and of your strength to stand when the tough times come? Are you depending on your strength or trust in the Lord? So you see their insecurity, but you also see their ignorance here. Verse 31 says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Jesus there, when he's gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. And Jesus talked to being glorified soon, a lot in everything here. You know, a reference to his coming resurrection and ascension that would happen. And of the need for the disciples to live you know, by the rule of love after he went, because he gives that thing right after that. You know, New commandment, I love my mother, because I've loved you. And the disciples to kind of show their ignorance of what he's saying, because they completely kind of just went, ignore his statements about loving one another and wondering where he was going and why they couldn't follow him. You know, many times Jesus said that to the Jews, they really didn't understand that. We saw that a lot. But is he going to go to the Gentiles? Is he going to go to hell? Is it, that's the only place we can go that we can't, kind of thing. 
And you see Peter ask the question after this, why can I not follow thee now? He was, it totally went over their heads of what Jesus said and what was about to happen. You also see their insecurity, their ignorance, and then their complete failure. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow, but thou hast denied me thrice. Because specifically, you think of Peter here. But all the disciples proclaimed that they loved him, and they're not going to forsake him. You see that, I think it's in other gospels. So said they all to what Peter said here. But before the night would be over, all but one would forsake him. One would betray him. One would deny him three times. And nine of them would run away in fear. So who's the one who didn't necessarily totally decide, totally forsake anybody? The unnamed disciple, it's likely John, the seal. So now, how many of us seem to be godly outwardly, but when the chips are down and we're required to make a choice for Christ or the other way, we prove to be less than we thought? Yeah. How strong are you? How deep is your love? Who would challenge you? I mean, some of the things that we looked at are kind of hard to think about. The challenges you too. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the lesson that we're able to look at today and the challenge that it is to our lives of what you did and how you acted towards people that hated you and that knew and that you knew would betray you, but you still loved them and honored them anyway as an example to us. And then help us as. Uh, we also talked about here that we would walk the talk and not just talk the walk in our lives for you. Help pray for the study that has been a challenge and everything to us that we would make us more like you, that we would desire to grow and to, to, be, or to draw closer to you. And I pray now that as we go to the next service that um, you'd be with us, help us be able to stay awake and alert, and help pastor as he opens your word shortly that we'll be able to stay attentive and that your spirit will just be moving in our lives and our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.